guys. Welcome back to another episode of Something Super Podcast. I'm Steve. I'm Mark. And I'm back. It's Jay. Hey, welcome back, Jay. So this week we are actually going to cover character arcs. Uh, the three of us each chose a Marvel Cinematic Universe character, uh, and we are going to cover from the 2008 kickoff of the Marvel Cinematic Universe up until Endgame and sort of see how that character developed their ups and downs, their character flaws, and, and sort of dig in deep, and uh, we'll go from there. So, Jay, let's start with you. Who is your character, and tell us a little bit about him. You're muted. I got Captain America. Is that better? That's better. All right. And I just, it's hard to even start with him because – Captain America starts off, in my That's opinion, the first like how's it hard to start with him? Yeah, it was like because it's just he starts off just as like the nerdy kid who just like wants to do something for the country and like wants to try so hard and be the best he can be, and then he gets given drugs, which is bad, to become yeah. just jacked, and. <laughs> Obviously, like, it's all awesome. He fights Nazis through the whole First Avenger and um, the Red Skull. Which then leads to the first time you see one of the Infinity Stones, which is, I believe it's the Tesseract you see in that one, correct? Yeah. He goes underwater and gets frozen in time because he's trying to keep the Tesseract from going into the wrong hands. Correct. So from that, seeing him, you know, from the, the scrawny, wimpy kid from Brooklyn to even, I mean, even in just that movie, watching him go from a yeah, kid just, that wanted to join the military to frozen in, in time, you know, I mean, you can even do a whole damn story about that, but yeah, ahead. it's craziness on that one. Just cause like he wants to be, he wants to help and just gets like rejected. So he goes to another one and gets rejected again. And like, they were talking about like, this is your fourth one. And you still got, he's like, you don't qualify to do anything for us, which actually at that point, it sounds kind of sad considering the fact we're in, is that World War two? Yes. One yeah. or two. Yeah. It's World two? War two. Okay. So we're in World War two and you're so wimpy. You can't even get into the war. That is sad. So what did you feel that said about him as like a character? Like he had heart and like he always was doing what is right or mm -hmm. well in his mind, what is right, which really is like, what's for the greater good. Sure. Uh, I mean, so jumping after that, we've got what winter soldier. No winter soldier or doesn't follow that. It'll be the next one. He really shows up in is um, Avengers. Okay. So Avengers yeah, is the next one. That. All right. And then you see him start to take over his role as like kind of like a leader. It's like me, him and Tony kind of butt heads a little bit, but it's like it's like Cap's the leader of the group. Mm -hmm. And he starts like, I guess kind of, I'm trying to think of the correct words to use, like pushing himself out farther to be in that role. Like... Well, Cap's always been a natural born leader. Tony just doesn't like being told what to do. Yeah, right. I guess that that also doesn't help. <laughs> well, I mean, and he says it, and I believe it's the Avengers movie 
uh, one He's of like, the what are you without agents. your well, what are you without agents? your suit and uh, shield? He's like, what are you without your suit? A billionaire playboy philanthropist. Exactly. But I think it's one of the one of the shield agents is talking to Tony because they think that he's the leader and they're like, all right, boss, you know, we're ready to do this. And he goes, I'm not the boss. He is. I just pay for everything and make everyone look cooler. I mean, he's not wrong, but <laughs> not at all. that is amazing, though. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, so you see him sort of come into his own uh, yep. and Captain America sort of takes on that that captain's role, you know, yeah. realistically. And just like, just leads like brings them all back together and leads them into the fight to. I'm putting air quotes on this. Save New York, because they really just fucking ruined New York at that point. But that's neither here nor there. All right. So post Avengers, we've got Winter Soldier comes Winter Soldier. next. Yes. And the return of Bucky, where. <laughs> I'm really sorry, guys. <clears throat> uh, the return of Bucky, where he's given so many chances to just like hurt Bucky, but like he realizes it's his best friend in the world, and like he can't do it, even though he's bad. Like he's going what he knows is right, and not like wrecking Bucky's whole world. Now, and trying to make him better. Would you consider that a character flaw of him? Like that he has a soft spot for Bucky at that point in time in the universe? Because obviously Bucky... That's it. Called. No, I, it plays into what I believe is his character flaw, which is just like his um sense of life kind of is a little too strong. Like sometimes, but I believe this with most superheroes, some people need to die. Some people just should not be alive. Sure. But looking at it as, you know, he's sort of blinded by the fact that he remembers Bucky as, yeah. you know, quote unquote, big brother that he yeah. always had growing up that, you know, that is definitely a flaw that he had that he still saw him as that. I mean, let's be honest, like if Winter Soldier really wanted to, he could have really fucked up Cap. Like Cap had like, a, like at that point in time, brainwash Bucky. Like that's another animal. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But like how do you feel that Cap like to that point had grown as a like, as a character? Because for me and Steve's characters, they kind of went from like the lower end of the spectrum of personality to kind of becoming better people, where Cap was like the best person that you could be. He stayed and up he there. Came, he kind see, of like his, up on his morals. See, his whole character arc. Unfortunately, I feel like kind of goes the other way for most people. Like he goes from like the best of us and kind of like comes back down to like he's a human. Sure, right. absolutely. I, through I the whole through the whole thing. Like, unfortunately, his arc isn't an upward arc; it's downward to a certain extent. But at the same time, it's not really like it's a bad thing because right. he's all in the beginning. He's all idealistic and just we can always do it, and we'll make everything, and it'll be perfect. And then like through the movies like you see it start in like ultron he starts to come down to like a more humanized realizing like some things just like aren't gonna work out right that is actually ultron i think is you i mean your character and my character is crossing paths on the yeah that's game. where they kind of like switch and so, then i mean even look into uh so i guess age of ultron that's when the sokovia accords got started so yeah, and then Civil War is the next one, and you see Tony taking the um, 
God, what can I? How do I put that? The, the high road. I mean, you think the yeah, the high, I guess the high road. And, and that is, like that Cap is taking topic. it is like, let us do what we have to do because we know what's best Correct. and how to do it best. Tony's doing what's morally smart. Yes, that's doing what's morally right. Yeah. And like at that point, it's like that's when they they come obviously head to head at this. And like you could see the divide in the Avengers. Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, yeah, there's always sort of been a divide. Uh, You know, there was the, the scientific and logic side of things versus the you know, the emotional side of things. And I'm not saying Captain America only thinks with emotion, obviously he's a tactical genius, but when it comes to Bucky, you know, again, perfect example, he didn't think with his, his brain. He didn't say Bucky needs to go down. He thought, this is my best friend. I've known him forever. I need to to try to keep him alive and salvage him. You know, I need to save what's left of the good in him. So, you know, again, after finding out that Bucky did one of the most heinous crimes of killing Tony's family, and cold blood cap still still behind him at 100 percent. yep and that is that is where i will always stand for team iron man in that movie because while i understand that uh bucky was under the influence of the russians he still got brainwashed I, I, i don't listen i would be like i get it you were brainwashed you didn't actually mean to do it but you still killed the dude's parents like you, you fucking murdered his parents. End, end of story. Um, I right. there's at least one ass whooping. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Oh, definitely. Yeah, well, he got his ass whooped, so he, like, he even if it's not personal, like, yeah, like, yeah, I understand. No, I, I don't, <laughs> I don't take away the fact that he definitely deserved to get his ass whooped for that one because that was it's Tony's right. family. But like, Tony wouldn't be the same Tony if his dad was alive. I agree. He so, didn't get like, pampered rich kid, but still, and I'm. It, I mean, it worked out well, but still shouldn't have probably happened. But all right, we're getting so, off, we're getting off topic. So next then, is Infinity War. In, as they move forward, see, Infinity this War is where it. I don't know where how you guys feel, but I feel at this point he's not Cap anymore. He goes into what um what the comic books took him to at one point, which was on Nomad. I would say literally for probably like just that first scene, he's the Nomad. But once he goes to Wakanda, like he's yeah to be in like Cap. Yeah, but yeah. that's where that transition scene. He's definitely nomad. He's just kind of roaming around and yeah, him and like Black Widow. You still see like he wants to protect the people, but like he he's wants doing... to do it his way. He's yeah, so he's doing it on his own terms. Court. Yeah, but that's, that's the thing. Just, that's kind of how the whole rest of the story goes. But then you also see at the very end because like there's not really much that changes in him in that whole movie. Besides, he sees Bucky again, and he's real happy. He gets to fight with Bucky at one point. But, I mean, even look at... So, just... I like the fact that you mentioned the the train station scene when they, you know, first meet Thanos' henchmen. Yeah. You you see him in the dark blue suit, which you remember from Winter Soldier. But the Silver Star is ripped out of it. You know, he is sort of denounced... Not necessarily America, but he has denounced the, the Captain America role, at least for that you know, period of time, like you said, he, he could have been the nomad and like, I mean, he's kind of doing his own thing. He is, this is, you know, justice by the streets. You know, I got to get shit done the way that I need it done because it's not getting done otherwise. Yeah. And like, honestly, through that whole movie, his character doesn't really change too much. He kind of stays the same through it. Oh, what are you doing? 
Sorry. Um, and then, but at the. So when we get to no, end no, no. game, you see him at first, he's going and running support groups and everything like that. Yeah. Ultimately where he gets to at the end, like what did you, did you see any change there to where he might've gone either lateral? He started to go back up. I think in end game back to like what Captain America is. And you, it's honestly, it's capped by the fact at the very end, you see him put his hand out and, uh, Thor's hammer, whose name I can never actually pronounce correctly. Milnir? Milnir. Whatever. You both got it. That comes to his hand, which means he is worthy to to wield the the oh God. The hammer Mjolnir. of Thor. Mjolnir. Yes, I was just calling it the hammer of Thor. So you ready? <laughs> Obviously at the end by his the end of his arc, he's worthy enough to wield not only <laughs> Mjolnir, but also Stormbreaker. There's a brief scene where he yeah, where he has him. Yeah, he and has now, it in his hand, and Thor's like, "No, no, you get the small one." So now we go back to really quick. I want to go back to Age of Ultron when they're all having the competition. Obviously, yeah, they have I was actually going to mention that because I was. Is, now, I thought that wasn't Age of Ultron. I thought that was Avengers the original. It's Ultron. It's no, Ultron. Oh, okay. Ultron. Yeah, because right he gets it to Ultron. wiggle. Yeah, so he like grabs it. Now it's been confirmed that at that point he was worthy enough to pick it up, but he didn't want to embarrass Thor. However, when that came out, that wasn't out. Did you guys both think that he could do it, or do you think he was still working his way, and that's why it only wiggled? Sure, I mean, and I think that's what the the Russo brothers sort of were going for was like the okay, he could make a wiggle a little bit. He's definitely there, but he's not all the way there. Yeah, that's how that's how I saw it originally, but. Okay, then, Jay, I got one question for you. Yes. Over the entire arc, if you had to pick one scene, that was the scene that, like, made him worthy. What scene do you think it would, would be? Because, I mean, I know mine, but I'm curious of yours. Steve, you can chime in, too, if you, if you, if you have yeah, an idea. I want to wait to hear Jay's first. Ah, oh, man. Like, at some point, he became worthy enough to wield Mjolnir. Was it that he was always worthy, or did he have to build to that point? And if he had to build to it, what point do you think it was like, okay, he's now worthy? I think I might go with at the point. We're talking just straight endgame, right? No, just through through the whole series. Anywhere in any of them. God. Over his entire arc, eventually he became worthy. I'm curious, when do you think that... You could give me what movie you think he became worthy if you can't think of a specific scene. I could see it towards the end, because obviously with the downward arc, I highly doubt he's going to be worthy at that point, like through Civil War and like the beginning of uh, Endgame or Infinity Wars. Endgame, I could see it at the point where he realizes he needs to start to like trust some of his teammates like with the Tony thing where he goes back in time I could see at that point because he's actually trusting his teammates and like doing what is right so they can get back to what they need and going back in time to meet uh, Howard that point in Endgame and then through the original movies well obviously you had to be like one single point you don't have to give Winter Soul. I could see it being Winter Soldier actually instead of actually going at Bucky and trying to be what I would prefer of just ruin Bucky's world. Just I get it. He's an old friend. Just do what you got to do. 
because you're doing it for the greater good. He actually saves Bucky. Okay. See mine personally, unless Steve, unless you want to give yours first. Okay. No, you're good. I mean, me personally, I think he's always been worthy because if you remember before he even gets the serum, when he's doing the jumping jacks with his squad, uh, Tommy Lee Jones throws out a dud grenade. Everybody runs, but he jumps on it. I think that moment, that scene right there, the fact that without powers, without super strength, he was willing to just give his life for others. I think that's what ultimately carried through his entire arc. And that's one characteristic I felt never changed was he was always putting everybody in front of himself. Yep. I actually, I got I got to put one thing out there to that. He jumped on that, even though it's a dummy grenade, that would have been really unfortunate if it wasn't because he was real skinny and that means bones were flying at people. I absolutely agree. <laughs> but no, I, I couldn't agree more with Mark on that one, though. Um, I think he was worthy the entire time. I think there may have been a waiver in worthiness, maybe around, you know, again, the, the, the train scene, you know, the train station scene probably would have been it. He was still doing it for the greater good, but was it his greater good or was it just fighting against Tony's greater good? So, again, that's, you know, neither here nor there. It's not like we had an opportunity to test his worthiness at that point. But I think from the jump, I mean, even think back to the alleyway. You know, he's doing what's where he got the shit kicked out of him when he was, you know, 95 pounds soaking wet because he was trying to stand up for the little guy, you know? Yeah, exactly. And he always does the right thing. Right. And the, the super soldier serum didn't make him better. It just made him more able to handle the bigger people, the big bad guys, you know? Uh, and, and that's, I mean, he used his powers for straight up good always. Uh, next I'll, I'll go with my character. Uh, I chose Tony Stark, uh, Iron Man. He was the person that kicked off the MCU. And, uh, you know, like Jay said, he was a billionaire playboy philanthropist, uh, to start. And he honestly, in my opinion, has one of the best character arcs because he goes from selfish asshole to I'm going to sacrifice myself for the entire universe, which is kind of cool. So, you know, throughout Iron Man 1, obviously you see him, you know, sort of do his own thing. He gets captured. Uh, You know, he's first of all celebrating the fact that he is selling missiles to the U.S. government that are used to kill terrorists, which cool, awesome, whatever. That's how you make your money. It's defense contractors. Um, Gets captured, gets blown up by his own missile, which he realizes at that point that like maybe this isn't the best thing in the world. You know, he doesn't realize who Obadiah Stane's selling to. Um, you know, we jump forward a little bit. Iron Man two, uh, you know, he sort of gets a little out of control. I guess well, was Iron Man two or was it uh, Avengers first? That was Iron Man two. So, yeah, I mean, Iron Man two. It's when Rhodey gets his suit. He's still a little. I want to say a bit of an asshole, still kind of full of himself. It's when he meets Black Widow. Uh, so, you know, when the Avengers initiative sort of gets introduced. But honestly, you know, again, even through that movie, he's still kind of doing for himself. He hasn't had the opportunity to really do for anybody else yet in the MCU. Um, you know, big buildup sort of starts with Avengers, I guess, for him. It's his first time really working with a team after, first of all, getting shot down by Nick Fury in the uh, post-credit scene for Iron Man 2. Uh, he's like, you know, uh, I'll, you know, I don't work with, we'll work well with people. You know, I'm not really about it. And 
Nick Fury's like, ah, well, we really didn't want you anyway, so thanks. And, you know, you sort of see Tony's like, oh, well, no, like you, you have to, you, you got to want me. I'm Tony Stark. You know, do you know who I am? Like, I'm Iron Man. And again, that's his, you know, robust ego taking charge there. Iron Man 3, you can really see his, you know, I don't want to say soft side coming out, but it, him and Pepper, you know, really got together at that Iron Man 2 point. Uh, she sort of takes over the, the company, at least the, you know, paperwork side of things. He sort of does his own thing after uh, Avengers. And I think, the whole, in, I think yeah. in Iron Man 3, you really started to see him kind of like, like the first two movies, like he feels like he's untouchable, mm-hmm. like in his philosophy and his theories and the way he goes about things. But I think Iron Man 3, because it's after the Avengers when he goes into the wormhole. Mm-hmm. So Iron Man 3, I really like because it kind of dives into his psyche and where he's at in the world Absolutely. at that point. Because, I mean, he's literally like breaking down and confessing stuff to how old was that kid? Like eight or nine yeah, or child. <laughs> right. Like he's just downloading like, dude, you don't even know what's out there, man. Like it's all out there. Like imagine being seven years old and having someone telling you that shit. Like, yeah, they're coming to kill you. <laughs> Pretty much. Well, and the, like, and the nice thing, like you said, you know, even touching back just quickly to Avengers, Tony was willing to sacrifice himself throwing, you know, the nuke up into the wormhole so that New York would be saved. Thankfully, the nuke blew him back through the wormhole and back into New York. But that was his first. I I don't want to say he didn't arc anywhere prior to that, but that was the first like real big jump. That was his like, oh, shit moment. Like, damn, Tony really did do for other people first. Um. And then right. again, he Iron Man. He, did. he always said he did, but that was the first time like you actually see the actions behind the words. Correct. And then you see in Iron Man three, uh, he meets the kid, you know, sort of teams up with him more or less. Uh, he doesn't really have the soft spot yet. You know, he's kind of still you know tough on the outside. He has that rough exterior where the kid's trying to get underneath of him. You know, trying to get a better understanding of who Tony is. He's joking with him and stuff like that. And then you see the PTSD side of Tony, you know, he's constantly having panic attacks. He, he can barely, you know, even hang out with Rhodey at the bar. Um, I mean, I, you know, that's where you sort of see the uptick for me. It was Iron Man three. Oh, I, I guess again, Avengers Iron Man three is that, that swing upwards as far as his character arc goes. So, Again, in Iron Man 3, you have the Mandarin, who's not really the Mandarin. Um, but <laughs> you have the guy from AIM, who, you know, Aldrich Killian, Aldrich. who takes over Pepper and puts in, you know, the, the virus inside of her. And that's when you really see Tony, like, lose it, because he's like, this is the woman that I love. I don't want to see anything happen to her. And this is heartbreaking. It's terrible. So he does everything he can to save Pepper. And between Avengers and Iron Man 3, Tony spent his free time building extra suits. I mean, Christ, what did he have, like 80-something suits? Yeah, an armada. Yeah, the entire suit brigade that he unleashed on the AIM agents, which was awesome. I think that was one of my favorite scenes in, like, every MCU movie, just because I'm a huge Iron Man fan, to see all of the different, you know, the space suit, the, I mean 
underwater suit and uh, the, the robotics uh, construction type suit. Like it's just insanity. The, the amount of shit that he was doing. And then for pepper at the end of it, he was like, it's over. Like it's done. I'm, I'm it's called the clean slate protocol and just blew them all up because he was telling her like, this is it. I'm done. I'm good. Kind of got back to his thing, you know, then we jump into after Iron Man three, we have age of Ultron, I think eight. No. Yes. Age of Ultron. Okay. And that's when age of see... Ultron was before that. Not Iron Man three. No. Iron Man three. So Iron Man three was the kickoff for the age of Ultron, like the iron Legion. Oh uh, yeah. Where instead of creating extra suits for himself, which again, selfish, he creates robotic AI suits that go out and help people in the world. So he sort of turned his, you know, selfish, again, more of a character arc, more selfishness to I'm going to help out everyone. And the thing I really like about Tony is in age of Ultron, you see his decision-making skills go from, I want to be a hero to, I realize that if I continue being a hero, it's only going to do more damage to the world. And you see the iron Legion get taken over by Ultron, obviously. And, all Tony wants to do in this movie is create the perfect AI. You know, I mean, if anyone wants to, you know, comment on Ultron, but it's obviously imperfect, takes over and kills Jarvis to an extent, and then takes over the Iron Legion and starts building himself a new body and goes and finds Claw that we'll see in a Black Panther, cuts off his arm and takes his vibranium to build a new body out of vibranium. <sighs> Sorry, I feel like I'm just ranting on and on and on. Jay, yours was uh, <laughs> much, much more drawn out. Sorry, I'm like blowing through this here. But so, no, you're ready. So here we so here. Let me propose this then. So we were all in agreement that Age of Ultron was like where your guy, where Cap and Tony crossed paths. So Steve, in your opinion, like, what do you think? Like, I'm trying to think how to word it. So like obviously they cross paths, but what did you think was like, because obviously Tony's on personality and character-wise, he's becoming a better per human being. Where do you think they were? Like, whether you think they were at an even level at that point to where Cap was becoming like more normal and Tony was kind of becoming more morally sound as a person? Or do you think like... Yeah, I think that Age of Ultron would probably be the movie in which... Like I said, they sort of crossed on that graph. So I think Age of Ultron, they would have been about the same level because, again, Cap's always been the good boy. He's the Boy Scout. You know, it's never going to be a question. But then you look at Tony, who realized, like, we destroyed New York. We have done so much damage. We destroyed, you know, Sokovia, an entire freaking country. We need to step back. We need to, hey, you know, let's look at what we're actually doing. Are we really doing any good if we're killing hundreds and thousands of people? And so, that's where we bring in civil war with the Sokovia Accords. And Tony says, we need regulation. Like, without regulation, we are no better than terrorists, basically. We're going out there. We're just killing people in attempts to save people. But, like, how many people do we have to kill to save how many? You know? So okay. I can completely understand where... And, again, he's got PTSD. He has seen what the Scarlet Witch showed him, which was all of his friends dead and at his feet, basically. So, you know, at, at, at what cost is everyone still alive? No. And she shows him, 
a future, not necessarily the future. And that was when we're, you know, we're getting our, our glimpses of Thanos and the throne. And I, I want to say Titan, but not necessarily because it's not red. But, you know, that was sort of the angle they were going for with uh, Civil War. Or sorry, that was Age of Ultron. And then in Civil War, you see the, the huge fight. And again, it's Team Cap, Team Iron Man. And this is where Cap sort of starts to take his downfall and it was spiral downward in the, the character arc. And Tony sort of, sort of goes upward in saying that like, you know, I'm doing this for a reason. I'm doing this because we need regulation. I'm doing this because we need somebody, you know, not necessarily a suit to tell them like, Hey, you know, this is wrong. They don't need a piece of paper to tell them that it's wrong. They need to think like we need to step back morally and, and consciously and not hurt anybody anymore. Which, again, I can respect it. Right. The one thing that I like is the one scene where he's talking to Cap and, he, you know, I forget what Cap says, but he's like, looks at him. He's like, sometimes I just want to punch you in your like perfect little mouth or whatever he says or in that perfect smile. And for me, it was just interesting because it's like usually Cap's the one that's like, no, like we got to do the right thing. But here it's like it's Iron Man. It's like, yeah, like we got to put ourselves in check. Absolutely. And again, I think that's where Cap sort of you know, takes his, his step back and he says like, no, we can't really abide by these quote unquote laws. So he's not necessarily lawless because he's still doing the greater good, but he doesn't want to abide by anyone else's rules because he thinks he knows best. So Cap's not necessarily wrong in this scenario, but I don't think he's right either. And I, there's no correct answer. This is all just obviously speculation. Right. Um, and then the next one we see Iron Man in is actually... Spider-Man Homecoming. And this is where like the 110% true turning point for me as far as Iron Man. Tony has no children. He has Pepper, who is, you know, basically his wife at this point. Um, obviously, you know, Tom Holland steps into the picture. He is the kid. And we can even chalk that up to a uh, civil war. But the first time that he really sees... Peter Parker as his, you know, protege, quote unquote, is fully in Spider-Man Homecoming. You know, he takes on the the role of the parent, I guess would be the easiest way to put it, because Peter's a kid. And that's where you see that shell sort of start to come away. You know, yeah, he did a little bit in Civil War with Peter, but he just kind of gave him a suit and was like, hey, go punch these people, like <laughs> kick some ass. And he did. But now he's sort of taking him under his wing as a mentor, both technologically and as a superhero. Because uh, I think he wants Peter to sort of take over the mantle eventually. You know, as, as a quote-unquote leader in the Avengers, which we know he does as a, a young Avenger. Um, next, we, we've got Infinity War, obviously. Uh, so... Jesus, <laughs> we're just going to we're going over so much. I feel like I'm just like stepping over myself at this point. Um, Infinity War, you know, everyone sort of does their thing. They come back together. They have one common enemy now. It's not Cap versus Iron Man and, and we hate each other. It's no like we got to take care of this big bad dude who's coming after the Infinity Stones. He's doing his thing. He's planning on destroying the entire you know, half the world or half the universe or you know, whatever his, his plans are. 
And that's when you see them all come together as a team again, which is awesome because again, Captain America sort of steps back up into that role of the leader. Tony is a second in command. They're both doing the morally correct thing, which is save the world um, or save the universe because Thanos is a mad Titan. And then, you know, we'll skip forward a little bit because I know I'm kind of running over my, my timeline here. We'll go to uh, Avengers Endgame. You know, Tony lost Peter Parker. You see him break down. You know, we're talking a five-year gap between then and Endgame. He's, he's out of the business. He's done. He is he's in mental up. turmoil when Captain Marvel sees him at the beginning. Yeah. Yeah, he's, I mean, Tony is, is given up heroing. He wants out. He wants nothing to do with it anymore. He takes that you know, the five-year hiatus, does his thing. You know, him and Pepper are living out in the freaking woods. I mean, I, I don't blame him. The man has seen a lot. He has done a lot. Many people have gotten hurt. He is not morally okay with that. And then, you know, to sort of jump back to, he was, he's always got the nanites on him on his, uh, his like track jacket, sweatsuit thing that he had. And that's when, you know, I, I mean, Jesus Christ. I'm oh, sorry. I just lost my train of thought. <laughs> no, you're good. So, ready? I want to touch on this. No, Please. you're good. I want to touch on one thing, though, that you said that kind of is interesting. So, with Civil War, like you said, like him and Cap kind of are an even level on like taking ownership and leadership of the team. But it's interesting because they never interact in that movie. Yeah. Cap's always on Earth and Iron Man's always out in space the entire time. They don't actually see each other. Like they have Civil War, and you mm-hmm. feel that you feel that through Endgame or through Infinity War, I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. And in Endgame is when they first kind of like meet back up and they eventually reconcile by the end. But like I just find it crazy that like Civil War just had that big of an impact just on the MCU as a whole and those two characters. Sure. Yeah, no, I, and I absolutely agree. But you know, like you said, they're you know, they're not really in contact with each other necessarily, but in what was it, Endgame, Tony's got the flip phone. And he yeah. who does he call? You know, it's obviously Cap. He's all, you know, he's off base. It's a burner phone. He's doing his own thing. That's like, that's when the, they squash the beef, you know, so to speak. Right. And it's not even, words don't even need to be said. He, they just know. And like, that's the type of person Cap is. He doesn't care what you said to him. If you need his help, he's going to be there. And that's why he'll always be the Boy Scout. And that's fine. I'm cool with that. I love Captain America. Um, and then obviously you see the ball come together to defeat Thanos, which is, you know, the, the big ending to, to Tony Stark, him taking the, you know, Stark nano gauntlet, snapping his fingers and saying, I am Iron Man. Like that's, that is the way Tony wanted to go. He knew that that was the only way that it could make it happen. The only way that he could save the world was to sacrifice himself and again, you see him turn from I could care about no one but me to caring about everyone but him. Right. And that is why he is my favorite character. Because he made the ultimate sacrifice. He made the uh, the hero play. Oh, yeah, I 100% agree. And that kind of leads us into my character, which I chose to go with the third of the trilogy, which was Thor, who I personally think not only had 
the best story arc. I think he's been the best casted person so far. Yeah. With RDJ right next to him. Now, I'm not saying perfectly casted as, like, he is Thor. Like, obviously, like, Ryan Reynolds is Deadpool. Tony, or uh, Robert Downey Jr. is Tony Stark. Mm-hmm. What I'm saying is going from Thor 1 all the way through Endgame, there's a reason why he's about to be the only one that has four solo movies. Like, he's just gotten better and better and better and better as an actor and as a character and bringing that character to where he needs to be. Sure. Because, so, like, in the first Thor movie, you know, he's about to be pronounced king, he's cheery, he's, he's like, he's immature, he's kind of childish, and I feel like he really wasn't hasn't been tested. Sure, I agree with at that. At that point. Like, I think maybe his toughest competition would have been Loki, but obviously Loki never had a claim to the throne. So as far from a physical standpoint, like, I don't think he's ever been challenged to where he really had to check himself. And, you know, you see a little bit of his mom, and I feel like he has the most tragic story because literally I feel like in every single movie that he's in, somebody he loves dies. Mm-hmm. So other than maybe the first one, but it's crazy because, you know, they show the scene with him and Odin and Loki, like when they're kids and Odin says something along the lines of the perfect King never goes looking for war, but he's always prepared for it. And the interesting with that is that's something that really doesn't stick with Thor. Cause then, you know, at the beginning of the movie, Frost giant, they're the, yeah, the Frost Giants, or I forget what they are. They sneak in and they steal the Tesseract. And it's like they they snuck into Asgard, stole one of the most powerful weapons, and, yeah, they got away with it. And Thor's first instinct is, yo, let's send a message to the Nine Realms that you don't fuck with that Asgard, and let's go and, you know, take some of them out. Not all of them, but some of them. And... In that moment, like he's looking for war, which eventually leads him to go on his own crusade, which is why he eventually loses his worthiness. You know, Odin strips him of all of his power. He puts the enchantment on Mjolnir that he who be worthy enough to hold this hammer shall possess the powers of Thor. Like when Thor gets sent to Earth, like he's immortal. And I think that's something that he really wasn't prepared for. And for me, I always found it interesting because it's like, by no means was the first Thor like a bad movie. It's a great fish out of the water tale. But as far as he as a character, like there's not much to him. He's just kind of reacting to everything and what's happened. So obviously by the end of that, you know, he becomes worthy again and he goes back. And when he's fighting Loki on the bridge and he eventually destroys it, like, yes, it's cutting. Yes, I feel like a lot of people misread that because they're like, oh, like that was just him cutting himself off from like Jane in the world. It's like, no, like he was doing that to save the people he originally wanted to kill. Like, and he made that much of a twist. So then that takes you to, you know, Thor the Dark World, where I feel like this is, yes, it's a setup movie, but I feel like, you know, it's not that bad of a movie for what it is. So, you, you know, Thor's trying to save Jane. Eventually, you know, they get attacked and his mother dies. And, you know, so from this point on in the movies, he starts just being driven by revenge. Mm -hmm. So for him, like, he's not a Tony Stark who has, like, smarts. He's not a Captain America who, like, 
has this kind of like a leadership kind of a role. Like he's just kind of going and exploring his own journey. And he has kind of a same character flaws cap with Loki. It's like Loki is a terrible human being in the first couple, well, as guardian in the first couple movies, but like Thor keeps giving him chances. Like it's one of those things where it's just, crazy the way that he has such a blind spot to what loki really has as far as his ambition what he wants to do yeah. but then you know you take that and then you get into avengers to where he's coming to earth to you know bring loki back to asgard to be tried for his crimes and you know he ends up having that awesome fight with cap and iron man where he's like oh i'm just gonna electrocute you and it just charges iron man's suit gets the unit like, beam yeah like, mashed yeah like the ultimate what like what are you gonna do hashtag wrecked so i actually like the fact that you you brought up um the first thor movie how he's like stripped of his power and sent to earth in that regard he has almost a reverse captain america origin because cap started he was the best of us with nothing and was given everything and thor was the worst of us with everything and it was taken away Oh, absolutely. And then, he, you know, he eventually earns his way back to getting it. But even then, he kind of like, there's always that doubt that it's like, oh, I could lose his power. So I feel like he has more respect for it come Avengers. And then yes. eventually, uh, I believe next time you see Thor is Age of Ultron. Where even in Age of Ultron, you know, Thor's not really doing anything crazy like he's just kind of part of the team and being told what to do and going and doing it but then Wanda gets in his head now it starts getting interesting he goes to the pools and you know he has a dream where he sees Ragnarok and he gets straight up told like you will be the death of us you're a destroyer Odinson you get plants of Hela because he doesn't say you are Odin's firstborn he says your firstborn son there's a quick glance where you see in the cloud, it looks like a gauntlet and you see, you know, the, the stones in it. So it's really his movies really setting up what's going on later on. But where Thor for me, where his movies truly start is the next time we see him because he's not present during uh, Civil War. He's going through Ragnarok. Now, here's for me where I think the Thor trilogy starts. I think Ragnarok, it's going to be a little bit of a cop-out, but I think Ragnarok, Infinity War, and Endgame, that's Thor's trilogy as far as his story. You got Ragnarok, where now you're getting Odin dies. You got So now he's lost both mother and father. He's lost Loki four different times at this point. Like He's been through the ringer, and now you have Hela coming up and challenging him. Yeah. And it's just, it's just crazy, because it's like... I thought Odin was already dead in Ragnarok. No, he dies in Ragnarok. Loki puts him in the um, in the elderly person home. When they go back, they have the whole... Oh, yeah, because he comes and back the and then he's not there. And got it because... Um, you know, then we get to um, Ragnarok, where it's a completely different tone of Thor. Like, literally, just from the very opening scene, he's doing that monologue. He's like, oh, Thor's trapped in a cage. How could this happen? And you think he's talking to you, the viewer. 
and then it cuts to like a skeleton and he's like talking to the skeleton that's in there. And then even when he's uh, having banter back and forth with Surtur, when he's spinning, he's like, oh, hold on, hold on. Coming back around. I'll be right back. <laughs> like, yeah. Like, it's just a completely different tone from the first couple movies. Because, like, obviously in the first door has comical moments, like when he's drinking the coffee. Another slams yeah, the cup. It. But, like, the, just the entire tone of the movie Ragnarok, it's so comical. And he has so many, like, little pieces. And, you know, his whole thing is, like, now I need to do the right thing. I need to be the savior. I need to come and take power from hell i need the beater to protect my people and this is where you start seeing glimpses of thor's for me it's like the high point of thor is ragnarok mainly because he believes in himself and in his power so like whether it's the fight scene with the hulk when he's just getting his head pounded in and like you see the first time where he's actually using like his power but it's that scene with odin where he's like are you thor god of hammers thor's like you know like it puts things into a different perspective for thor Absolutely. And that, that really shows his, you know, his dependence on the hammer, which, again, I could say almost mirrors Cap's independence from with I mean, even without his super strength or, or speed or anything like that, he would still be a good person. So that is where I mean, you know, maybe you view differently. I think his hammer breaking is sort of his like turning point as a character. Right. Yeah. And, you know, uh, going from there eventually you know after Ragnarok you know he saves his people although it comes at a cost I mean now he lost Hellas and now he lost mother father and sister he's got you know times. he's got the population on the ship and then it cuts to you know them being shadowed by Thanos's ship mm-hmm. which takes us in the Civil War where Thanos absolutely wrecked all of them and he's literally carrying mm-hmm. Infinity War Infinity War what did I say <laughs> Civil, Civil War <laughs> yeah it's a weird civil war. Hey, yeah, I've seen that one before. I mean, to be fair, Korg was trying to start a revolution. He just, just didn't print enough pamphlets. That's true. Korg. <laughs> that kind of we should we should do an entire episode on like those sideline, baseline type characters. Dude, I would just do an episode on Korg. He's just phenomenal. <laughs> I hope he shows up in the uh, Thor Love and Thunder somewhere or as Guardians of the Galaxy. Oh, I, I hope he does. But yeah, like then it leads into Infinity War where, you know, he got straight up just wrecked by Thanos and, you know, Loki eventually gives him the Tesseract and then Thanos actually kills him. So now Thor's literally lost everybody, lost his people, his sister, brother, mom, dad. Like it's pretty much just him and a handful of Asgardians at this point. Yep. So this is where you start seeing him kind of starting to doubt himself and almost lose that worthiness again, because he's not like, it's not that he did anything wrong. It's just, he's not believing in himself. And infinity war for me is my favorite movie that features Thor. I mean, you see how beaten and battered he is at the beginning to then he goes on the side quest with Groot and rocket to get Stormbreaker, And then you have the, the greatest superhero entrance, to my opinion, is the Battle of Wakanda. You know, they're finally getting overran and everything's going to shit. And then you just see the Bifrost come down and all you see is Stormbreaker just come whipping out like Kratos and just throwing and whipping it around. And then he catches it. And at this point, like, then he charges in the battle screaming, like, bring me Thanos. And, like, 
he's in the zone right there. Like he knows that he has the power to be the leader in this fight. Like, and he takes that power. So eventually at the end, you know, Thanos is shooting all the power at him. He throws Stormbreaker, cuts right down and hits him in the shoulder. And then he should have gone for the head and he snaps. Well, from here, you know, Thor just gives up. Like really, I mean, next time you see him now comes Endgame. Uh, you see him at the very beginning. They go and find Thanos. Thanos explains he destroyed the stones and Thor cuts his head off and walks away. And like, even there, he like repeats the line, like I went for the head. So like that's been eating at him for all this time. That's the next time you see him, we get bro Thor. Fat Thor. Fat Thor. And this to me is just the epitome of visually showing PTSD. Like, yes, Tony was having the like the nightmares and things like that. But I mean, Thor literally is using humor to cover his pain. He gained a ton of weight and he doubts himself. He lacks his own worthiness. Like he's not even helping the team. They're building a time machine and they're trying to figure out how to work everything. And he's literally just drinking sodas in the background. Like, you know, the, um, the big, big Lebowski. Lebowski. Oh, sure. That was soda. Yeah. Maybe. I mean, it was a fresca fresca, <laughs> but like, it's not until he actually goes back in time with rocket and he talks to his mom and his mom's like, look, you are a failure, but it doesn't mean you did the wrong thing. Like all you can do is fight back from it. Like stop living in the past, move forward. And that's when you see a turning point. Cause then when they come back, Natalie's dead, um, you know, like all that other stuff. So everybody feels like there's no hope, but Thor's the one that's like, yo, like, let's do this. We got to get this. Like I, I'm trying to see, I wrote it down. Cause he, he had one line that I love and he's like, uh, where was he? Yeah, so like they're just in there, everyone like Hulk's pounding the ground, they're all thing, and uh, Thor's like, dude, we're the Avengers, let's get it together. Like, <laughs> yeah, and, and I, I like the, the fact that Thor's sort of the one that's more grounded after you know, again, having that conversation with his mom that really sort of brought things to light. That, like, even though you may have messed up. And even though, you know, things didn't go the way you planned, it doesn't mean you're a unworthy or B you're a failure, you know, a complete failure. He's just like, all right, well, we got to get our shit together now. Now it's time to like, you know, pull ourselves up by our bootstraps and let's start kicking some ass again. Right. And after his mom has that talk, like he puts his hand out and Mjolnir still comes to him. He almost like looks shocked. Like he has relief. Like you just see sheer relief. He smiles and he's like, I am worthy. Like that was the ultimate proof. And then towards the end, right before the final showdown, like you have Cap and Tony and like the wreckage of the missiles that went off and everything. And in an opening, you see Thor just standing there by himself in his normal clothes. He's just standing there staring at Thanos. Now, I feel like a younger Thor would have went head on with Thanos and just not even tried. But like you see, he's relying on his team at this point. And he's like, look, I know I can't do this alone. I know in Infinity War, I tried to do it alone and it didn't work. So, you know, then you get the um, the God Thor, the braided beard, the dreadlocks that are like twisted. Oh my God, I love it. And like, he doesn't lose the fat. Like he's still a heavy dude, yep. but he's just <laughs> a whole different being. And 
if you actually watch that fight, like he's learning from his mistakes now. Like every single swing he takes during that fight with them three versus Thanos, every single one is for the head. And I mean, just the joy on his face when Cap wheels Mjolnir, like he's like, I knew you were, I knew it all along. Like he's like so happy for Cap, where originally I feel like he would have felt like Cap was trying to like steal his spotlight. Steal his thunder, so to speak. Ah. Ah. Nice. Good pun. (laughs) But yeah, but then, you know, like by the end of that movie, I feel like we have Thor back. Like he's making jokes not to cover the pain. Like he's back to being himself. He's more lighthearted. So after everything that he lost, I felt like he had the greatest arc because he was able to get everything back. And that's just, I don't know, that's just me personally. Well, I like the fact that, you know, you brought up his PTSD as well. And let's just use it comparatively to to Tony, right? So Tony's got PTSD. He went through the wormhole, saw the death of the Avengers, basically saw, you know, all of his friends die, all of his family die, etc. But at the end of the day, he still had A, his money, B, his suits, and C, his wife and now child to go back to. Like you said, Thor lost everyone. His... He still had Valkyrie. Yeah, but even she, I mean, she didn't pop up until the end of Endgame when the portals opened up. Well, he so, actually makes uh, gives her the crown. Yeah. She's technically the ruler of Asgard. Well, new Asgard, but. Yeah, the, the sea shanty town. <laughs> but, I mean, it's like him and Korg are like, best bros now but he doesn't really even know them and they're just kind of sitting there drinking eating and playing xbox like that's all he does he doesn't have a ton of money or a loving support group and a family to go back to he doesn't have you know a thing to do he's on earth it's not his planet it's not his world if you can go back to asgard maybe things would be different but you know again his his character is left with nothing like you said it's it's an insane way to look at it but how he deals with his PTSD versus how Tony deals with it is entirely, you know, converse because it's two opposite ends of the spectrum. It's I have an outlet and I don't have an outlet. Thor right. And, and I mean, honestly, just that talk with Freya, like she had more, I'm pretty sure she has more lines in that one scene with him than in the first two Thor movies that she's in. And yeah. like that just says so much that it's like because you've obviously always saw him talking with Odin, fighting with arguing with Odin, but like you never really saw him and his mom have one on one time. Yeah. Like the first two movies were more focused on Loki and her versus Thor and Odin. To well, where think... Go ahead. No, I'll say to where now, like that scene gave us that closeness to like, oh, okay, like everything was just off screen. Yeah, I think a big part of the Freya and Loki, you know, connection was Loki knew he was adopted. Loki knew he didn't belong. And it was his mother trying to make him feel like he did because obviously Odin knew that Thor was, you know, the the claim to the throne. Right. So he was trying, you know, he was his favorite son and he was trying to build him to be the king that Odin was. And Loki was just kind of thrown off by the wayside. And, you know, the mother took him under her wing and like, it's okay. It's okay. You know, trying to not necessarily let him get away with murder, but, you know, he turned into a snake and stabbed Thor once. So almost (laughs) get away with murder. So, you know, he, 
he sort of had a blind eye turned towards him, so to speak. Not that Odin had more than one eye, but it's for me more, you know, one of those things that like, wow. Need, yeah. Fuck you. He needed his mother's love. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, I, I agree with you, Mark. I think he has one of the best character arcs because you see, you don't see, it's not like a, a Tony where it goes straight up and, you know, you see him at the end, you know, his, his is like a fucking roller coaster. It goes up and down. He's back and forth. Uh, and yeah, that's about it. But, uh, Jay, what do you got for me? Do you or actually Jay rank them one to three and we'll wrap this up. Who has the best character arc? Yeah. Uh, best, best or worst. Best or worst. Out of these three, it doesn't mean that whoever's number three had a bad one. It's just whichever your preference was. Tony Thor Cap. I'm going to have to agree with you, Tony Thor Cap. Go ahead, Mark. Yeah, I went Thor, Tony Cap. Okay. Hey, that's that's fair. me personally, because like you said, like Tony's just kind of like, Tony and Cap are just straight lines to where Thor, it's like up, down. Like you don't know what's going to happen next. With no. Him. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Cap goes down and then comes back up. Yes, but he already starts way up. Yeah. Thor's just a dick with a hammer at the beginning. Cap starts at like 90 and eventually gets to 100. Whereas like Tony started at like a zero and Thor started probably somewhere in the negatives where he's just like a murderous monster because again, it's Asgard <laughs> and they just come back to life anyway and they go eat at the table. But all right. So on that note, I'm going to wrap this up, gentlemen. Uh, I mean, guys, thanks for listening. I'm Steve. I'm Mark. And I'm Jay. All right, guys, check us out next Thursday on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and Anchor. Thanks for hosting us. We'll see you next week.